just want to let you know a few bits and pieces of uh, other things uh, that are good for me just to um, share, right for me to share. We were meant to be in series this morning. We're meant to be looking at Matthew chapter 19 where Jesus teaches on marriage and divorce. Um, But to be quite honest, as I've studied the subject and as I've been looking at it, I feel like I'd like longer um, in, in, in preparation and more, more opportunity to discuss it with the eldership team before we present it to you. So we're going to leave that and postpone that um, until uh, the autumn term when we will come back, look at Matthew chapter 19 together and look at the whole subject of marriage um, and divorce. Um, other thing just to say, obviously last uh, week was the first week of June and uh, we were um, looking at the whole thing of the Community Action Hub. We were asking every one of you who's a member of Kings to be praying and uh, pledging. So this is week two. So we've got this week and then we've got two more weeks after where there's Father's Day and there's Baby Thanksgiving. And so just really want to encourage you, don't just let the weeks um, slip by, but really uh, give it thought and prayer. How can you be financially involved um, in the whole area uh, of the uh, worship, um, not the worship hub, sorry, the community action um, hub? And then the last thing I just want to share uh, with you um, is in regard to Stephanie Smith. Um, it feels like it's really popping, actually. This is quite distracting, I think. I'm going to swap to handheld. We do a swap. Excellent. That's better. Brilliant. Um, I shared a few months ago that Stephanie Smith um, uh, was very ill. Um, Don and Stephanie planted the church here in Hastings 44 years ago, and then about 30 years ago, I think, they went off to Eastbourne um, and did it all again. Um, Got sad yet joyful news to tell you. that Stephanie passed away um, earlier uh, this week. It was after a very difficult um, and prolonged um, illness. And there was a posting on her Facebook page which basically said something along the lines of a 2,000-year-old promise fulfilled today. And, And the promise was about, actually, that we will be with Christ and that we will see him face to face. And so I just want to let you know um, that, that she passed away. Um, the funeral will be, or the Thanksgiving service will be on Tuesday the 26th of June. Um, it will be mid to late morning. The times haven't been yet quite tied up. But if you knew Don and Stephanie and you would like to support Don and the family um, and celebrate Stephanie's uh, life, I know that when they do the Thanksgiving service, um, any of us who, who knew her would be very welcome to attend. It will be over um, in Eastbourne, but we can confirm those uh, details uh, soon. Um, so we're off series this morning. I get the privilege of uh, uh, not, not needing to preach, as it were, the passage in front of us or, or me, although that is a great thing to do. Um, and so, so I can go off piste a little bit um, here. Do you get provoked when you read the Bible? Yeah, I do. I often get provoked when I read the Bible and I think, why is my life not like that? Or, or maybe the question I ask is, why is it not happening like it happens in the New Testament? And if I'm, if I'm honest in what I'm going to speak on this morning, that's exactly the situation I find myself in um, today. 
There are two instances um, in the Bible where I am flabbergasted at what is going on. One is the letter to the church at Philippi, and it's written by the Apostle Paul. He's facing, um, he's in prison, he's facing death, he's worried about the church. A co-worker that he'd been working with really closely had nearly died, uh, but, but hadn't. And other Christians in that city are trying to get in trouble, him in trouble by preaching the gospel. So they're not doing it to see people respond, they're doing it to try and get Paul in trouble. And yet, what you find in this letter that he writes to the church at Philippi is that he is rejoicing and he is joyful pretty much all the way through it. Many commentators say that it is a, it is a joyful, a rejoicing um, letter. And yet I look at my own life and after 20 minutes of watching England play South Africa yesterday, you know, we did really well for the first 20 minutes. I was there rejoicing. The next 60 minutes we were absolutely atrocious and I've got to confess to you with 10 minutes to go, I said, I've had enough of this, turned it off and stormed out. And I think, where, where on earth, where on earth is my joy and my rejoicing? And within about 10 seconds, God said, cool, that's a good illustration for tomorrow to me. You know, just spoke into my heart how much I've nailed this whole subject. But the Apostle Paul, rejoicing and joy, right in the middle of it. And then, and then there's, an, there's another, there's a church in Greece. And um, this is, there's not much said about them, but it's, it says this. They had a severe test of affliction. Sort of biblical language for saying, it's going really, really bad. A severe test of affliction and extreme poverty. That, that doesn't sound like good ingredients to put into the mix you know, of church life. You can imagine, what ingredients shall I put in? Well, I put in I'm going to put in a bit of affliction. I'm going to put in some extreme poverty. What on earth are you going to get out the end? Bitterness? Sorrow? Um, I don't know. But what came out in these same sentences, it overflowed in generosity. What? How can you put in extreme affliction and poverty and get out generosity? And then the second thing they said is, and an abundance of joy. How can you put those ingredients in and get the other results out. How on earth does it work in that way? And it's not just a few illustrations in the Bible. Church history is littered through, of, through, with stories of men and women who have been through intense difficulties and yet overflowed in peace and joy. What is it about the gospel? What is this amazing thing that the gospel does, that it so affects the hearts of its people, Christians, that when we go through those difficulties, when we go through those trials, there is still the opportunity not to be overwhelmed by them, but to come back rejoicing and full of joy because of what God has done. This truly must be a supernatural thing, mustn't it? It truly must be a wonderful thing, the gospel. So this morning... It's an invitation for you to come with me as we look at the whole subject of kingdom joy. My little illustration of the rugby has already gone far enough to communicate to you that I am definitely a work in progress when it comes to kingdom joy. But why don't we go on this journey together, see what God wants to do in our hearts, in our lives today as we look at this subject. And we're going to look at a passage in 1 Peter 
chapter 1, verses 3 to 9, as we look at the whole subject of kingdom joy. And as we look at it, we're going to break it down into three bits. We're going to look at the foundation of joy, the challenge to joy, and lastly, the fruit of joy. And by the way, Peter is writing to churches in Galatia. They are struggling themselves. They are facing persecution. It is not good to be a Christian at that point in time, in that place in history, and they are trying to work it through. And what we find is that Peter, right in chapter 1, doesn't wait till chapter 5, right in chapter 1, he wants to help the church navigate through life so they can do it with a, a, a heart of rejoicing and joy in the midst of circumstances that so, so, so take us away from that. To a point where it says, and we're going to read these words in a minute, to the point where we get to joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. That sounds good, doesn't it? Do you fancy a bit of inexpressible joy, inexpressible and glorious joy? You don't look like you do, but I'll, I'll take it. Look, take it from me. You need a bit of inexpressible and glorious joy by the looks of it. So we, we sort of see um, where we go on the way through. Let's read the passage and then we're going to uh, pray. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his grace and mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, um, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him, you believe in him. And you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Lord, I pray, would you please take my preparation and make it live. I pray for your fire to be upon us as a community of people. Lord, I ask you for your grace, your mercy to be all over it. Give us open hearts, even even for those of us right now, that because of the pain and the difficulty we're facing, we think the last thing I want to hear is a message on joy. I just don't want to hear it. It's too painful. Lord, I I ask you for seeds of faith to be ignited in hearts right now. I pray that in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. So let's work the passage. Let's take the passage verse at a time. um, And then we're going to come back together. And the great great thing is that we've got plenty of time. Not for me to preach, but for us to respond at the end. So um, hopefully by about quarter past we'll be on our feet and putting into practice some of what I've taught um, this morning. So what's the foundation of joy? Well, the, the Apostle Peter, he starts by exploding in praise and worship. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's nearly like Peter can't start any other way 
he explodes with this praise and worship. That's what blessed is. It's, I am blessing God's name. I am blessing him because of who he is. And I'm going to bless him because what he has done. And so Peter, in some ways, is setting an example for us to follow. When we're facing sorrows, when we're facing difficulties, when we're just facing the coughs and colds of normal life. Where do we start? We start by focusing on God. We focus on who he is and we focus on what he has done. You know this letter to the Philippians? Right in the middle of it, Paul puts an absolute gem When he says, you know what, I count everything as rubbish compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I wonder, how how is it that Paul could rejoice and find joy in God in difficult circumstances? Well, one of the reasons probably, and I think that gem right in the middle of it helps us is, why? Because you know what, he treasures Christ more than anything else. He treasures it more than the new car I'm hoping to get or the house extension I might be looking at doing or my good health or, or, or great family relations or, or promotions at work. All of those can be good and I can rejoice and thank God for them. But if that is not the foundation of my joy, the foundation of Peter's joy and Paul's joy and our joy is who Jesus Christ is, who God is. And what he has done. And Paul then, Peter then goes and gives us a whole load of a bit of a description for three verses, just like an explosion of what God has done. He says, you know what? Out of God's abounding mercy. How cool. We come this morning, not on the basis of our performance, but on the basis of his mercy. Therefore, it doesn't actually matter how I've performed because I was never coming on the back of that anyway. I've always come on the oceans and oceans and oceans of God's mercy, which means I can come again and again and again, even if I mess things up. Out of his abundant mercy, you know, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is good stuff. And you know, and Alid was sort of encouraging us, wasn't he, in the worship. He said, celebrate. Why do we celebrate? Because of what God has done for us. And I know you guys know it. But sometimes we only know it because we come here on a Sunday. We need to pickle ourselves in the abundance of God's goodness to us. And how did it all come? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The Son of God, who is perfect, gave his life up for me. The silly bloke who gets cross and angry because England lose a rugby match. Have you ever seen such mercy and grace lavished on anyone that me, who's been a Christian for 35 years, still hasn't got it. But he was through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He gave his son for me. Oh, I'm slow to learn. Aren't, aren't we all at times? The foundation of our joy is in who God is. And in what he has done for us. And it's so important that we build our lives on this foundation. It does not change. It doesn't change. I could go on and on. You know I like to go on and on, so I won't. 
But he says, blessed be. And then just, just go down to, um, just if you've got your Bibles, have, have a look. Verse 6. He says, in this you rejoice. Tops and tails this truth. We have a part to play. It's not just enough that God has done it for it. Done us. Done it. Oh, what was I saying? It's not just enough that he's done it for us. But we're to rejoice in it. There's a command. There's a come, rejoice in what God has done for you. That is an act of the will. That is a decision I make. Not, not, there's no caveats. Rejoice in it when you feel like it. Rejoice in it when that good thing does happen. No, no. Rejoice in God. And it's interesting in Isaiah 61 verse 3. I, I, I'd only seen this recently. And it's talking about God's wonderful salvation for us and the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon us. He's anointed us to preach good news to the poor and all of that stuff. And, but, but it says, and he says, and he will give them a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. That's interesting. I take off my spirit of despair. I put on a garment of praise. There is nothing like praising God. To dispel despair. There is nothing like praising God. Why? What's happening when I praise God? I'm taking the wonderful truths of the gospel and I'm allowing them to affect my soul, my heart. I'm declaring out, I'm proclaiming truth of what God has done. Faith rises in my heart as I do it and it it does something to my soul. Yes, it's predominantly towards God, but actually it does something to me. Praise and worship, declaring God's goodness, does us good. Then in verses 6 and 7, what do we find? We find that there is a challenge to this joy. Although, Although in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various Trials. I mean, the reality is for us as Christians, however much we'd love this not to be the case, we face trials. They are numerous. They are difficult. They are various. And, and it says there um, that Peter says that they are various um, trials and they grieve us. They, they, I don't want to belittle this. They hurt. They cause pain. They cause suffering. For some of you, you will, because you know Don and Stephanie, you will be grieving with them at the loss of Stephanie. There is a, a, it it affects. It's not that because we're Christians and because, because we're Christians, we're immune to suffering. Paul says to the church in Philippi that, that God spared him sorrow upon sorrow because Epaphras recovered from his illness and did not die. So Paul's not saying, I'm immune. God, you've so blessed me, I don't care what is happening around me. He he did care. But his foundation was in who God is and what he has done. But, But we get grieved by various trials. But there is small print in there. In those verses, there's some small print that's worth looking looking at. And the first bit of small print, Peter says, is for a little while. You know, we're going to face trials... For a little while. That's not to belittle them and say that they are of no consequence, but it's to magnify eternity. 
whatever trials we are going through right now, they are temporary. They are. We have an eternity when we go to be with God in glory and there are no more trials. For Stephanie, she doesn't need to face any trials anymore. She's run her race, received her crown. How cool is that? That that is the hope that we have. And as we face trials and difficulties, it's good to remember just for a little while. It may be decades. It may be that we do not get through this trial on this earthly life, but we will. You will. You will be raised with Christ. No more pain, no more suffering. One of our, our children um, didn't sleep very well at night. I, I want to protect his identity, so I won't say um, who, who, he, who he is. Um, and up until the age of five, he, he didn't sleep through all, a, a whole night. It was a nightmare. Myself and Chloe, particularly Chloe, because I did actually have a habit of sleeping through, but for <laughs> Chloe, it was... But he didn't. Until he went to school, he did not sleep through, and it felt like an eternity of waiting. When will he sleep through? When will he sleep through? Now he's 15 years old. <laughs> and, and actually, it, 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 seems, it, seems like, it seems like it wasn't that bad anymore. We wouldn't want to do it again. But 10 years on, the joy and the delight and the pleasure he brings to our lives, it, it seems so much less. Although it's really hard at the time. I wonder if that's what this little while will feel like to us. We get to glory. And there's no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears. And we went through it and it was real and it was hard and it was tough. But it was just a little while. And then it also talks about the tested genuineness of your faith. That these trials for the Christian, they are not worthless God is testing, strengthening our faith even as we navigate through them if we respond in the right way. Actual fact, Peter says that this faith is of more value than gold. It's more precious than gold. If I said to you guys, somewhere there is a cheque for a million pounds hidden in this building. First one to find it, I'll write your name on it and it is yours. Within 30 seconds, there wouldn't be any one of you sat in your chair. You'd be gone. I've got to find why. Because a million pounds can make a dramatic difference to what my life is going to be like. I'm going to find it. I may even get, you know, a bit bolshy to find it, you know. A few elbows may go flying in. I'll give a bit to God, but, you know, I want that money. But actually, actually, Peter says that faith, genuine faith, is of much more value than earthly riches. It has much more ability to bring change and transformation to our lives than a bit more money. And at the end of the testing of our faith, if we walk it out well, do you know what? It's incredible. It will, it will turn out for praise, glory and honour at the return of Christ. Wow, how I live life will, will cause praise, worship and glory to be lifted up to God. And that's the same for you. So that's small print. For a little while, the tested genuineness of your faith. And then we go on lastly to the fruit of joy. Though you've not seen him, you love him. I, I wonder if those words, 
so sum up the essence of Christianity in a glorious and wonderful way. Though you've not seen him, you love him. You know, Christianity is not about following rules. It's not about praying the right prayers or reading the right Bible verses or turning up for church or doing good to people. It's about loving Jesus. It's about a relationship with him. And other stuff flows out of that, but it starts in loving him. I just don't know. Can you, can you join with Peter? Although I have not seen him, I love him. Wow. Great, great test of what is going on on the inside. Is it just formal religion or do you have a genuine relationship with God? Though you do not see him, isn't it? It's amazing. Peter puts that in and I think he does it on purpose because it's like, isn't it so often the case our trials seem to be very in our faces and sometimes they can push Jesus right to the background of what's going on? You know, we look at our bank statements and we see that we don't have any money. It's a real trial to our faith, test to our faith. We fall out with that colleague at work and we can hear the brokenness of that relationship. It's a real trial, it's a real testing of our joy. The sickness that I carry in my body, I feel it every waking moment and sometimes even when I'm asleep I wake up because of the pain. I feel it. Jesus, where are you in the middle of it? And yet in the midst of it we, we cry out sometimes through the tears. Although we don't see you, Jesus, in the midst of our pain, we love you. Although we don't see him, we love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him. You place your trust in him in the midst of what you hear, in the midst of what you feel, in the midst of what you see. And then I love these words. And rejoice. We've already been told to rejoice. Peter's already set the example of singing out praise and worship to God. He says, in him we rejoice. But then it's as though God comes alongside in our rejoicing. And what happens? We rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. He takes what we bring. Our rejoicing in the midst of trouble and difficulty. And he brings his very life to it. And fills our praises and our worship with a heavenly joy. An inexpressible and glorious joy that picks us up from where we are and takes us on in him. How many of you know that to be the case? I do. I don't get it right all the time. But you start, maybe it's here or maybe in a connect group. And you're singing out songs and you're doing it because you know God is worthy of praise and worship. But before you know it, your, your, your very countenance has changed and you came in with sorrow and sadness. Circumstances just the same, but, but, but you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious job because you know what God has done for you. You've been reminded of what he's done. It's, it's filled your heart. It's overflowing out of who you are. It's the hope that we have. 
Katia Adams said this, our goal should be to sustain thanksgiving and praise until our whole being is alive with his presence. The foundation of our joy is in who God is and what he has done. And we access that joy as we focus on him and we glorify him in worship and praise and thanksgiving. In spite of the trials that they were facing in Galatia, Peter had an expectation that there was a wonderful and glorious joy available for the church as they, in faith, believed and stepped out into the promises of God. So as I close, I just want to summarise some of these things that I've been saying um, about joy. I've said it already, but I want to remind you again. What, let me ask you a question. What's the foundation of your joy here and now? What are, what are you genuinely finding joy in? What is it that when it's shaken, you lose your joy? Are you building, like Peter has encouraged, like Paul set the example of, like the church in Macedonia and Greece was doing, are you building on the rock that does not shake and does not change? You know, joy is a characteristic of God's kingdom. It's, 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 it's part of what we're involved with. God's kingdom is a matter of righteousness, peace and joy. We know joy is found in God's presence. You make known to me the path of life and in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. We find that joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, that as we keep in step with the Holy Spirit, we are a joyful people. But joy is something that we need to nurture in our own lives. If you're not joyful and you're a Christian, you can change that. You can. You can change that. You can nurture something different. In Philippians 4, Paul tells them, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. Every circumstance. And I find the more I rejoice, the more joyful I am. They sort of go hand in hand. My actions affect my emotions, affect my affections. Now, joy is expressed differently in different personalities, you know. Don't, don't look up and down your road thinking, oh, I'm just not that sort of outward going personality. That doesn't matter. It's just joy gets expressed. Rejoicing gets expressed. Doesn't matter how you express it. Can be with a whisper or a shout that lifts the top off the building. But are you expressing your joy? Are you ex- rejoicing in God? Different personality types, but God commands rejoicing in all of us. And joy is part of our inheritance. 
You know, when it comes to joy, and I, I find such hope from this, you know we're never going to arrive. Not this side of glory. There's always going to be room to grow. Thank you, Jesus. My, uh, my intention is to keep stepping up in God, keep growing in it, but I never get there, not totally. But I believe we should be the most joyful people in Hastings. Don't you? You don't look convinced, but logically, don't you think that is the case? Don't we think we've got more hope than any other people in Hastings? Now, I'm really worried you've all gone to sleep with your eyes open. Aren't we? Don't we? Don't hope and joy go together? They do. Like I said, you're going to get the chance to put this into practice in a minute. And it isn't that we live in a vacuum. I've already mentioned it. Paul said he was spared sorrow upon sorrow because Epaphras didn't die. And yet that wasn't the foundation of his joy. The foundation of his joy was his relationship with Christ. What God had done and who he was. Can I invite the band back up please? Why don't we stand? Why don't you just sort of, why don't you just shake your arms, shake out your legs a little bit. It's really nice and warm in here, isn't it? Nice, nice and toasty. Get the blood circulating a bit. I, I really believe God wants to meet with us today. And... And I think for some of us here today, what characterises our lives is that we are grumblers and complainers rather than rejoicers. And we, we spend so much meditating on all the stuff that's going wrong that there's no room for joy left in our hearts. We're going to celebrate, we're going to enjoy God in a minute, but before we do, I just want you to do business with God. So how do you respond if you realise you've been living contrary to what God says is best for you? We repent. We turn around. We change our thinking and we ask for forgiveness. And I just want to ask you, if you're caught up in sin that you know you need to sort out, well, that, that can be a joy robber. Maybe you've got unforgiveness in your heart. You know you need to forgive someone and you haven't. That can rob you of joy as well. Maybe grumbling or complaining, or maybe you're just facing really difficult temporal circumstances. Just, just this is an opportunity to confess and to come back to God. And then what we're going to do, and I think Sam's going to be brilliant at leading us into this, is we're going to have an opportunity to rejoice in God and to sing out and declare praises for who he is and what he has done and to grow ourselves. And I believe that God wants to supernaturally meet with us. And instead of us being, uh, having, as it were, uh, 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 being overcome with despair, God to replace that with a garment of praise over the next five or ten minutes. So I'm just going to pray. Why don't you pray with me? And then the guys are going to lead us into, into this. Lord, I, I thank you that, that whenever you show us an area that we need to change, I thank you, Lord God, you always give us a way out, Lord, which is repentance and coming to you. 
and saying, Lord God, please forgive me because I've been living in a way contrary to you. If I'm honest, complaining and grumbling more, more, more reflect my life than rejoicing and thanksgiving and I pray, please forgive me for that. Father, please forgive me for this besetting sin and I haven't dealt with it and I know it's robbing me of joy and life to the full. Lord, this, this person, I, I, I'm going to find it really hard, but I choose to forgive them, although they've caused me great pain, because you tell me that I must. And I believe the promise that as I forgive, Lord God, you will come and restore to me the joy of my salvation. You will come and restore my life. Lord, we give you all of these things and we say right now, we choose to turn our affection to you. We choose to live a life following you, faith-filled obedience, faith-filled, joyful life that brings glory to your name. So come, Lord God, as I step out, as we step out in faith right now, singing in the pain. Lord, I ask you that you come and fill us with joy in your presence that it would overflow and touch those around me and those I live with and those that I work with. We ask for that in your precious name, Lord Jesus. And we all said, Amen.
I just thought a word to share is just put on my heart. That it's our love for him that's the runway for everything. So whatever you're in this week, however you want to love and serve him, it's that love for him that gets us airborne and flying on, on wings like eagles. Do you want to just take your seats? Um, actually, stewards, could you please start taking the offering now? 